Good. Well, um, today we're going to be uh, looking uh, back into uh, one of the Old Testament prophets uh, called Haggai. He had a message from God. We, we, did have, we did have a little look at Haggai as part of a series uh, almost two years ago. Um, and there were a, just kind of a couple of themes from that that I just felt would be good to revisit uh, at the moment. And uh, it won't be repeat. It's a different message. You might be uh, pleased to know, even if you remember the previous one, uh, which I could hardly remember it, so I wouldn't expect you to necessarily. But um, it's... Uh, A short little book, the book of Haggai. It's near the end of the Old Testament. We'll go there in a minute uh, because we're going to go somewhere first. Those of you who found it, you can keep your finger in it if you want to. I'll give you a page number in a moment. Haggai was a prophet of God who brought God's word to uh, the Jewish people at a very particular time in their history, in their story. Uh, Actually, in the book of Haggai, intriguingly, I think it's... One of the very few places in the Old Testament where this happens, we actually have the exact date of his message. And uh, uh, he he kind of preached a number of messages in the uh, Jewish community back in Jerusalem, as as we shall see. And it actually all takes place in the year 520 BC. Uh, Even more specifically than that, we know from the text that it's from the... uh, second half of the year. So between the 29th of August and the 18th of December in our calendar, in the year 520 BC, Haggai was there preaching God's word in Jerusalem. Uh, That's where the action takes place in Jerusalem. Now at the time in 520 BC, Jerusalem was a shell of its former glory. You know that uh, under David and then Solomon Uh, And then uh, subsequent kings, Jerusalem was a a magnificent and beautiful city. It had an amazing temple that was covered in gold and wonderful artwork and just an amazing uh, expression of of, of worship and praise to God. The the city of Jerusalem was astonishingly beautiful. In fact, uh, when the Queen of Sheba comes uh, from uh, Arabia over to see Solomon, she just says, I'd heard about it and... But whoa, this is, you know, Solomon, his city and his temple just blew her away. And and it was an amazing and a beautiful city. But then, 70 years earlier than 520 BC about, you know the story. Uh, The whole of the Jewish community of Judah were exiled into Babylon. They were carted off and taken away. God's judgment came on them. As the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, uh, just as God had said through the prophets they would, uh, and because they turned away from God, the Lord, because they were worshipping other uh, gods, and and God had been telling them for centuries, he sent prophet after prophet, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, and Hosea. They were all at that time warning the people, saying, look, God says, come back to me. The great message of the prophets is return to me. Come back to me. Don't keep worshipping these false gods. Come back to me. Because if, if you don't, there will be consequences. And, and it goes on for, for, for centuries. This message comes out and they ignore it. And in the end, it comes. The Babylonians arrive. The temple is destroyed. The city is smashed to pieces. It's unrecognizable. And off go the community into exile for 70 years in Babylon. But now, 
by 520 BC, that period of exile had come to an end, just as God had promised as well through Isaiah. He said, I'll bring you back again. And he bought the, 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 this community or, or group of them as the first kind of part had come back to Jerusalem with a commission from the government of Persia to rebuild the temple. And it's an astonishing story, and you can read about it in Ezra. Well, they got back, and they started well. They set up the altar, and they started holding sacrifices. They were having the key festivals. They were kind of recovering their identity as God's people. It was going pretty swimmingly well. And then it all got really tough. And you can read how tough it got in Ezra chapter 4. Just a couple of verses there on page 476. Or just listen if you want to. It's not a detailed uh, exposition of these verses just to get some background see what happened it says here in Ezra 4 verse 4 it says then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building they hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus king of Persia and down to the reign of Darius king of Persia and then over on the next page on verse 27 There's a summary statement that says, Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. See what happened? They started so well, and then they got completely discouraged and afraid. It all stopped. And it stopped for 15 to 20 years, if we look at the dates. And then two prophets we read. One of them is called Haggai, and we'll look at his message in a minute. And the other one's called Zechariah, and we remember back in 2012, we looked at the Zechariah 2. They start working with the people. They kind of emerge in the community of God's people in Jerusalem, of these exiles who'd returned, and they start to bring God's word. And the, and the discouragement lifts, and the building work on the temple, having stopped for all those years, begins again, and is eventually completed now Haggai is one of the prophets who helped this community come out of discouragement how did he do that how did they get out of this place where they became so discouraged and afraid that they they pretty much couldn't go anywhere they couldn't do anything they just carried on living their lives hoping that maybe one day something would change they changed from that into as we shall see a group that began to rebuild again what did uh, he do and can we learn something if we're feeling a bit discouraged from that before we get into that let's just ask one question why was the temple so significant well it was really important because it wasn't just a building that's the point of the temple in Jerusalem it never had been it had always been a tangible sign of, of God's presence with them God described it in the Old Testament as the place where his name would be and that doesn't mean his name was written over it, you know, saying Yahweh's temple or the Lord's temple. It meant when God says, I'm going to put my name there, he's kind of saying, everything about me, every, everything that you can kind of know about me and enjoy about me is kind of going to be summed up in my presence. And, and that place is kind of connected to that. That's what, what it meant. The place he would dwell, he said. And, and the, their discouragement was robbing them from from that robbing them of that possibility of knowing God with them in their experience so it wasn't the building alone but it was what it represented 
And actually, in the temple's case, what it actually was too. You remember when the temple was first built, the, the glory of God filled the place. It just, there was a, this, uh, 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 well, it's hard to describe what is glory, but there was this sense of God being there, which, which overwhelmed everybody in the building when it started up. Same thing happened in the tabernacle. Now, just sit with me, because Jesus, remember what Jesus said about the temple. In many ways, he, he made it very clear when he came that he himself had replaced the temple. It's one of the reasons they put him on trial, because of what he had said about his own body. Um, being kind of, They said, you spoke against the temple by saying, you know, you could build the temple up in three days. And Jesus was referring to what he would do on the cross. Jesus himself is the way that God dwells among people now. When Jesus came uh, on earth, the temple as a building was no longer significant in the same way. And Jesus, remember, he spoke about building. He used it as a metaphor. Do you remember that? Remember, he told a story about builders. Remember the story about some people who built on sand and some people who built on rock? And what's the point? He's saying, look, if you hear what I say and follow my teaching, if you, your discipleship following me, says Jesus, is like building. And if you do what I say, you're building on a good foundation. If you just kind of ignore it, then you're building on sand. And the New Testament as well gives us a very clear picture of the people of God in community. It says are like a temple, a living, breathing temple. Not stones and wood, but a community is the place where God's name is now, where God dwells among his people. So we and every other local church and the church kind of all over the world together, is like the temple now. It's, it's how God is known and seen and, uh, and he dwells among his people. So what I want to say before we get going too far, as we look at this passage, which is about um, coming out of discouragement to build a temple, please don't think, please don't think about what's behind that door, okay? Don't think about that. That's not what this is about at all. Think about and actually, this is more difficult. <laughs> it's easier to think about that stuff over the, behind the door. Think about the life you're building as we follow Jesus. Think about that. Think about the community of people that we're building together. With God, we pray among us, making himself known. So anyway, after... 15 years of discouragement and, and standstill. And, you know, Haggai brings God's word to these people and something happens. And he writes this book, uh, or his, uh, the, the story is recorded under, the book, under his name. And the book tells us what God gave Haggai to say to these people at the time and how it brought about a transformation. So let's hear what it has to say. And it's on page 948, uh, if you found it before. It's good to have a page number. I don't know about you, I find these prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, I don't know how they do it, they magically seem to jump around in my Bible. You know, one minute they're somewhere, and then the next minute they're somewhere else. But if you nail them with a page number, then, you know, that, that gets them. So page 948. Uh, are you discouraged? Uh, is there a danger of us as a community being discouraged? Maybe a standstill? Maybe afraid? Maybe aware of the kind of opposition around us? Those people in Jerusalem, they even had the law against them. They weren't, you know, they weren't allowed to build because, as you read the story, that the, the law said they weren't. That was one of the reasons they just said, oh, well, that's okay, that's it, finished, it's over. 
We'd have to wait till the law changes before we do anything. Well, let's read Haggai, verses, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You own wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. That's his first message. That's Haggai's first message to the people. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. If you want to go into the details of this, then I suggest you, if, you, if you're really keen, go and find the, go on the website, go, to the fifth, uh, go on the uh, listen again or bit feature of, on the website, you know, where the audio downloads are, and uh, listen to it on the 15th of July, 2012. But verse 2 does tell us a couple of key things about the problem. What was the problem? Well, interesting here, isn't it? God calls them these people. And it's as if God is kind of responding to them in the way they're treating him. It's as if they've forgotten who they were. You see, they were God's people. The Lord, as we see in, in L-O-R-D, capital letters here, is the Lord Almighty. The Lord was the name that God had given to them when he, he formed this relationship with them as a community back in the Exodus and indeed before. The Lord who loved them and brought them back. The Lord of hosts. The Lord was their God with the power to do anything. That's what the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts mean. But all this had got lost somehow. Instead, they've become these people. These people. And as the Lord looks at them, it's almost as if Haggai is saying, you know, you might as well be Gentiles, guys. He's saying to Jews, you know, as far as the way you are, you're just these people. You know, you're not the Lord's people anymore. That's one thing we might pick up from here. But more than that, the people say, it says these people, what do they say? The time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. They, they thought that walking with God, doing his will, fulfilling the very reason they were there was, was now gone. All of that stuff that God wanted from them had been marked, you know, put in a file and marked, you know, to do sometime in the future. Now wasn't the time. How can we do this now? The law's against us. Da, 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 da. You know, they stopped for 15, 20 years. It's over. Let's, we'll, you know, we'll put that. It's not the time now. 
it just didn't matter to them anymore. They had the altar. They could make sacrifices. They had the festivals. And anyway, they would say, well, we're legally banned. We can't break the law and do the building. So they kind of put living for God on the back burner. See what they're saying? And besides that, they had houses to build. For goodness sake, there was a recession on. They had enough to deal with. They had a bad drought. Then along comes Haggai and shocks them. It is quite shocking, isn't it? Imagine being one of them and this is the word that Haggai brings. And he challenged them about the way they were living. Because they were living with this attitude of, my stuff is for here and now. God's stuff, well, that's not really for now. Later, maybe. My house, well, that's really important. What God wants, well, that can wait. God says the temple is about his glory. He says, it says there in the passage we read, and, and he says, I want to be glorified in this. I want to take pleasure in it. And Haggai is calling the people to wake up. It's like an alarm clock going off and saying, wake up, you're missing something here. There's something you know, you, you've kind of got, a, got away from somehow, and, and your discouragement has, has kind of meant that you've drifted off to sleep. Because God says to them, I am involved in everything. He said, you know this recession? You know this drought? Well, guess what? Actually, uh, it's not disconnected. Now, this isn't to say, and again, listen to the previous measures, that, that you know, everything that happens always comes from God's hand in this way. But on this occasion, he's saying, this drought, you know, is connected to your, your lives, guys. Because you think that I'm not involved in everything. You think oh, you can keep God's stuff on one side and my stuff on the other side. And while you, get, you leave God's stuff on that side, while you get on with you know, doing, living your lives. God's saying, you're getting on living your lives in recession, but the recession is about my stuff in this case. You see the point? He's saying, you're, you're, you're kind of putting me on one side. And it's a, a shocking kind of wake-up call. Interesting little, you know, the word for drought, when God says, I called for the drought... And the word for the temple being in ruins in Hebrew is either the same or a very similar word. God, even in the language, is connecting these two events together. Now, I ask the question, can we get discouraged in this way? Sometimes I think as a group, as a community of people, as a church, we can become discouraged. And it becomes the way we just kind of are, we, the way we live our lives. The Lord in one section of a life... Uh, a bit for him. Everything else is somewhere completely different. And we just forget that the, the building of our life together matters. We forget that, that God will dwell among us. We forget that God actually wants to take pleasure in our church life together. We forget that we're living stones, as the New Testament tells us, to be built up into a spiritual household. That We forget that we are meant to be a temple that God takes delight and pleasure and glory in. Whilst we kind of leave all that stuff on one side and kind of just get on with our lives. And we need to get back to the sense that Our desire to build life together, life together in prayer, in learning, in worship, in mission, all of that comes out of this kind of call from God to be his people together with him dwelling in us, in all of those things, in our prayer together, our learning, our worship, our mission, uh, everything else that we do as a community. Jesus, it says in the New Testament, fills the church. That's the message and Haggai is kind of saying to the old, these people in the Old Testament, you've forgotten that you're meant to be filled with God. 
You can't just section him off. Well, that's his message. Let's see how they respond in verse 12. So there's a lot, lot more to the message than that, but that's a few of the key points. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, uh, Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius. These were God's people. They hear this word and they experience a renewal. Renewal is what happens when God's people come back to him. Get back to the roots. Conversion is when people who don't know Christ come to know him. Renewal is when we're renewed in our work, walk with God. And we see there is this renewal in several ways. And I just want to highlight it uh, and leave it with us to kind of see, well, might this apply to us? First of all, we see that there's a renewed togetherness here. There's a solidarity. You see, um, that was uh, right at the beginning when Haggai brings his first word. But in their response, it's the same. It's to the leaders, the governor, the political leader, the high priest, the religious leader, and all of the people. All of them. They're together before God's word and together they respond. Now, we move out of discouragement when it's a corporate thing. Well, think about individual discouragement next week, by the way. But together, when a, when a community or a church is discouraged or just kind of unable to carry on, then one way out of it is when it starts being about us, not about them. You know, when, when we as leaders don't you know, go keep banging on about the church, or what's the matter with those people, you know, why don't they do this, why don't they do that, and it's all about them. Uh, and the, and, and the, the people being led say, why, why don't the leaders get their act together? You know, why, look what they've done. You know, whether it's leader or, or being led, there's this kind of, it's always about the other one. Haggai is saying here, what happened is all of them come to, you know, the, it, God speaks to all of them and they all respond. It's a new sense of togetherness, a new sense of solidarity, a new sense of being before the Lord together. It's a good way to start. It's a way out of corporate discouragement. And we need to get that mindset that that what we are together matters. And then we need to act upon it, pray for it, look for it, work towards it. If we find ourselves thinking it's always about them, whether you're a leader and you're thinking, oh, that group I lead, they're no good. (laughs) Or if you're a group member and you're thinking, what's wrong with my house group leader or my ministry team leader or the elders? Why don't they get their act together? Stop thinking like that. It's about all of us. That's the first kind of thing. A renewed, secondly, a renewed identity. See, what happens is they get back in touch with who they are as God's people, don't they? Now, they're not these people anymore, are they? What are they now? They're the remnant. 
And the remnant, that's a bit of a technical word. You know, that doesn't mean they're a spare bit of cloth, you know, wasted, cut off on the edge. Now, the remnant is a, a particularly special word in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied God's word to Isaiah was that, that after the exile, people would return. In fact, he was so convinced of it, he even named one of his kids. You know, if, if, if he was outside and he wanted to come in, he'd say, Remnant will return. Come on in and have your tea. That was his name. A remnant will return. And Isaiah talked about, about God's promise that one day a remnant would come back to Jerusalem. And that not just that they'd come back, but they would be the, the road that, that, that God's salvation of the whole world would, would kind of run through. Because the remnant becomes the, the way to Jesus, the Messiah, coming. And the way to God's blessing on the nations, which Isaiah also has quite a lot to say about. And so when we read here that the remnant, there's something more than they're just the ones that came back. They're connecting. Because look, how is the Lord described here? The Lord, their God. Now he's the Lord, their God. And a discouraged community begins to get up again as we realize just who we are. That we're God's people. That Jesus has paid for us. That he's promised to work in us. To be with us. To equip us with his authority and his power as we live our lives. We, we understand this commitment that he has made to us. You see that name, Lord... Is the covenant name for God. In a moment, we're going to be celebrating this new covenant in Jesus. This, this covenant that speaks of God's complete commitment in love to his people. And, and we are those people. And he's committed in love to us. And we need to kind of recapture or get in touch again with who they are. Getting back to that realization together starts to melt the discouragement. Because as that happens, something is changing, you see. And something is changing on the inside. And out of that, something happens in their lives. Realizing who they were changed their lives. So what was different? Let's look on. Verse 12. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. And it also says the people feared the Lord. There's a realization that that if they're God's people then they need to obey him. In fact, they want to obey him because they're, they're just so aware of who they are and what a privilege it is to know that the living God has committed himself to them in love, that he's spoken to them, that he wants to, wants, them to, you know, to, wants to dwell in the midst of them. In their case, in this temple they were supposed to build. In our case, all kinds of ways. That's what happened. They fear him, not in terror, but in love. They realize that this God, he's not a name, not just a word. They realize that he's not just an idea. They realize that he's not just some kind of local godlet who's there to give them what they want. But that he's the Lord, the the, the one who is passionate in his holiness, uh, unfailing in his love and his mercy, in his loyalty, his faithfulness, his commitment, and, and, and his desire to be involved with them is unstoppable. They fear that they're in awe of this Lord that loves them. 
And they find that, as the Bible says, to be the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is that way of living which comes from heaven, as James tells us in the New Testament. Completely different. Can we get into that place with the Lord? As we realize who we are, obey him, fear him, live our lives delighting in the fact of who he is and his commitment to us. How he invites us to, to partner with him, how he wants us to be, wants to be part of it with us. How does that look like in our lives together as a community? You can talk about that in the house groups. That might be a house group question. So there's that renewed identity, getting in touch with their identity, obeying the Lord's voice, fearing the Lord. And then finally, there's something else that happens in verses 13 to 15. Actually, verse 13 is another message, probably following on in the same series or the same week or day even, we don't know. But verse 13, the Lord speaks to them again through Haggai. Look what he says. I am with you, declares the Lord. And this promise of God that I am with you, this promise is not just heard. This promise is not just thought about. (laughs) And, you know, books are read about it. This promise is not just discussed in groups. But this promise, I am with you, is received. Because look what it says. The Lord stirred up the spirits. Of all of them, again. Not just the leaders, not just the people, all of them. His promise that he was with them was actually experienced in their lives. And I guess another thing to say about getting out of discouragement is saying, well, are we in the place where we can receive what he wants to give us? There's a great song, we might sing it. Um, It's just called, Stir My Heart, O Lord. Asking him that he may stir us. Great friend of mine, he he quoted a prayer that somebody gave him once uh, in this area of knowing what to do in guidance. He, He said, this is a great prayer to pray. Incline my heart, Lord, to do your will. It's a great prayer. Whatever your will is, Lord, just I need my heart to go there after it. And as a result of this, they start building the temple again. And now, it is time. They got straight on with it. Well, they had to do a bit of um, prep first. So that's why there's a few, few days between if you work out the, uh, the, the timeline down there at the end of the chapter. Now, suddenly they're not bothered about the recession or their houses. It's all in a new perspective. They're going to build something that's all about God's presence with them because they know that it's true in their lives. God stirred their hearts. He's moved on them. And now the idea of God living with them through the temple is not just some kind of building project. It's it's intrinsic to who they are. It's a great thing that happens. It becomes a reflection, actually, of what they've known. It kind of bubbles out of them. So where are are we then? I want us to pray that whatever we do, whether it's in prayer together, I'm thinking corporately particularly, whatever we do together as a community, whether it's in prayer, in worship, in mission, in building buildings for mission, 
that whatever we do is done out of that kind of renewal of heart. That we do it because we're living in a renewal of togetherness. That we're wanting more than anything else to be the Lord's people, obeying him, revering him, knowing a renewal of his presence with us together and an openness to receive all that he wants us to have. That's the case. We'll have something worth sharing in the networks around the city where we are. We'll have something worth sharing across the world. We'll have something worth sharing here in Portswood and in Beavis through the ministry God gives us, through the buildings that we're trying to build and we already have. So let's come back to where we should be. It's realizing that, uh, realize that following Jesus is for now. <laughs> not sometime. Not sometime in the future, maybe. It's for now. That the glory and honor of God really matters. And that he is for the whole of our lives. That we can't section him off into a, a separate section. He doesn't want that. He wants to take joy and pleasure in it all. And let's turn to him. And live lives renewed with him for his praise and glory. That, that if we are, maybe we're not, I don't know. But if we are together, getting a little bit discouraged corporately. Let's get back together to who we are in Christ. And know his presence with us. Amen. Let's just bow in prayer as the band come to lead us on.